you've been in this uh, sermon series called Things That Last. I want to talk about, uh, right now, I just want to talk real briefly about things that go together. And we may need a, a little audience participation. So for instance, you know, things that go, to, go together, uh, salt and pepper, they, they tend to go together. Uh, socks and shoes go together. Peanut butter and jelly go together. Chips and Wait, chips and what? Chips and salsa, chips and queso, chips and guacamole. Yeah, chips, chips. A lot of things go with chips. Uh, spaghetti and meatballs. Um, macaroni and bacon and anything. What? <laughs> bacon and eggs, bacon and anything. What about some of you who have some odd flavor tastes. What are some things that you liked that most people might not think go together, but you, you really like them? Like I had a pastor one time. Uh, I had a pastor. He was in Pilot Point, great man, but he loved to take Fritos and dip them in peanut butter. Fritos and peanut butter. He, he loved the flavor. Literally, I, I can visualize in his kitchen, him just with a jar of peanut butter, popping those Fritos in his mouth. What about you? Any odd flavor combinations you're going to have to interact with me because I want you to. Uh, what do you like? Pizza and what? Poppy seeds? Pizza and poppy seeds. Okay. Poppy seed dressing. Okay. Pizza. Okay. All right. Never had that one. That's a good combination. What else? Yes. Broccoli and ketchup. I'm going to guess you had a lot of ketchup with that broccoli. <laughs> so, all right. What, you want fries with that ketchup? Um, what else goes well together? What's that? Apples and ketchup. Oh, wow. I've, that is great. Uh, more power to you. One more right here. Yeah. Or, we got a theme going here with the kids. Ketchup and just about anything. What about you in the blue shirt? Popcorn and hot fudge. Well, yeah, I could see that little, little sweet, little savory. I know that um, when, well yeah, well, yeah, I'll go ahead and say it. When my wife was pregnant, she liked popcorn and orange juice together. Uh, what else? Yes. Wait, 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 wait. You're ratting on somebody else. Just put ketchup and macaroni. Yes, and? I couldn't hear that one. Eggs and ketchup. Right, let's go with one without ketchup. Eggs and ketchup. What's another one? Mustard. Crackers and pepper. Hey, that's not too bad. You know, a little Lunchable, a little crackers, pepperoni, a little cheddar cheese go with that. So there are lots of combinations. Some, are, some really make sense. Some don't always make sense. But then when you put them together, they just kind of work. I mean, Coke and lime. A lot of people like Coke and lime that... That seemed like an odd combination, but it works. Uh, partnerships can be interesting. Sometimes you have partnerships, they just, it's just glove in hand, it makes sense. And sometimes you may find that you, there's a partnership that, that it's just an odd combination, but, but it works. Um, and we're going to be talking about partnerships today. You are in the book of Philippians. I just want to reiterate the setting 
uh, you know, the letter's theme of, of the book of Philippians as Paul wrote, that, wrote this letter to the church of, of Philippi was basically Christian unity. I know you guys have been over a lot of this already. The Philippians were incredible partners for Paul in faith and mission. The historical setting of this letter, Philippi used to just be this little bitty farming town, nothing, kind of like Rogers, just a little farming town. It was, just, it was a small little community surrounded by, by great, great farmland. And then the civil wars of Rome began to take place in the first century before Jesus came. And as that civil war was settled, uh, the soldiers of Rome needed a place to go, and Philippi was one of those places. And a lot of Roman soldiers were settled in the area of Philippi, and they began to build structures. They began to work the farms even better, and Philippi began to become a larger, larger city. It was on a road called Via Ignatia. It was not a major city, but it was important nonetheless. And it lay between the larger cities of Neapolis and Thessalonica, kind of like Belton Temple. Belton Temple is on a major thoroughfare. And while it's not a large city, this is an important area. Uh, and, and we're in between San Antonio and Austin and Dallas and Fort Worth. And so we're not major like those cities, but nonetheless on a major road and very important area. The if you imagine traveling, leaving the city of Neapolis, and you're traveling to Thessalonica, along this Via Ignatia, a traveler would come to the city walls of, of Philippi. And he would enter Philippi, and, and as he's walking along the main road through the city, to his left there would have been, to the south there would have been um, baths. There would have been bathhouses, a couple of different bathhouses. This is archaeology. I'm an archaeology nerd sometimes. So there would have been some bathhouses. And then, and then to, the, to the right, there would have been a theater uh, for entertainment and large public addresses. And they would continue to walk through Philippi, and they would come to the forum. And this forum would have been designed after the Roman forum. It would have been the, the seedbed of commerce and government. As, as, a, as a traveler, as a visitor walking through Philippi, they could have, this is where they would have uh, found what they needed for, to continue their travels. It would have been where they see uh, something like a city hall. It would have been something where they could have seen councils meeting, decisions being made. And then a little surrounding the forum and then heading, continuing to heading a little northwest, they would have begun to see temples. And there were lots of temples in Philippi. A lot of these temples were dedicated to the Caesars of Rome. Uh, because when you think about worship in, in this area, in this region, there's Roman gods, there's Greek gods. These gods were known to provide need, to provide sustenance, to provide counsel, to solve problems. Uh, they would call on gods to do these things for them. And these Roman emperors, as they conquered, these Caesars, as they conquered, they would provide these things. So instead of the gods, they would look to the Caesars for these things, and so they began to, to venerate or begin to deify these, these Caesars. And so there would be temples dedicated to them. There also, there would have been temples uh, dedicated to the Greek gods. There would have been, there, there are, there was Zeus, there was Apollos, there was Dionysius, there was Artemis. There were temples to Egyptian gods, Isis and Erysus, and, and even some other cultures. And then as the travelers they would have seen all of this. They would have seen so this very diverse religious little town. They would have left the gates heading on to Thessalonica, and they might have found a place of prayer. This is where in Acts 16 it says Paul went, uh, and this is where Paul met Lydia. I know during uh, the first sermon in this series, 
you guys, uh, Colton did a great job of laying out how could the church of Philippi been born? And I love Acts chapter 16, where, where uh, it just lays out Lydia and how she became to faith. And then there was the slave girl that had the spirit of divination in her. And uh, perhaps this young girl came to faith. And then as we know that Paul was put into prison, we know that the Roman jailer came to faith and his family. And you could almost see how all of these people had this intimate connection with Paul and how this church was born in Philippi. And Paul had this incredible lasting relationship with these people. Let's go to the scripture, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we'll read verses 19 through 30. This is what scripture says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. We know that, I'm going to stop right there for a moment. We know that the book of Philippians is a, a, a letter that Paul wrote from jail. I think it's most likely from, the, from his Roman prison, uh, for his time in prison in Rome. That's, that's just from what I look, that's what I think. And so I believe Paul is writing this letter. Timothy is with him, and he, he yearns to send Timothy to the Philippians so they can, he can hear from them, so that Timothy can support them and can encourage them. And then Paul also hopes and yearns that one day he can come himself to Philippi and revisit the church in Philippi. We know that Paul, he says it right here, that he had this father-son relationship with Timothy. How many of you here have had a father or son relationship in Christ? There's somebody who took you, they, they mentored you, they brought you along, and then they encouraged you to emulate them and to minister, to be that person of God that they themselves were, that, that father-son, mother-daughter relationship. It was very important for Paul for him to continue himself. It was very important for Paul for him to, to raise up men who would minister as he had done so. Continue, continuing in the scripture, I have thought it necessary, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, he's has, he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, he was near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. 
So what we know about Epaphroditus, Paul calls him his brother. He was a brother in Christ. Paul calls him a fellow worker. That Greek word, I don't usually throw out a bunch of Greek terms, but I'm going to do a little bit today in this sermon. That Greek word, sunergon, sunergon, uh, means a working together, a fellow worker. I want to focus just real briefly on that, that prefix, the word soon. In Greek, the, the Greek language will add the word soon to a language to emphasize togetherness or fellowness. So this soon ergon, uh, it's a fellow working. You can get, probably you can hear the Greek word, that, uh, the English word that comes from that, which would be synergy. It's that 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 meshing together that just makes sense and makes things better. Uh, literally, it's, it just literally means one who works together with someone else. And Paul considered Epaphroditus a fellow worker, somebody whom he had synergy with. He also calls Epaphroditus his fellow soldier. The Greek word here is uh, sustra teotain or sustra, uh, well, sustra teotain, that's the, that's the enunciation, we'll give it to it. Sustra teotain, which literally means struggle together. A fellow struggler. One who serves, literally, or in, by definition, it means one who serves in an arduous task or undergoes severe experiences together with someone else. I believe you guys have been fellow soldiers together. Renewal Church has been through severe and arduous experiences. Fellow soldier, fellow struggler. Paul used this language to indicate his appreciation, his affection um, for this man, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was sent by the church of Philippi. The church of Philippi knew that Paul was in prison. The church of Philippi knew that Paul could use some means. The church at Philippi got an offering together. Uh, they had a message for Paul. We don't quite know what that message was, but along with that message came some money. And the church of Philippi sent Epaphroditus to Paul. We know that while Epaphroditus was on his way to deliver that message and the offering to Paul, we know that he had a near-death experience. We know that he was ill. We know that in serving Christ along the way that he almost didn't make it. But by God's grace, by God's mercy, he made it to Paul. He was able to deliver the gift. He obviously spent time with Paul there, helping him in his ministry, helping him serve in Christ. And then Paul knew that now it was time to send Epaphroditus back. He probably really yearned or would, would desire that Epaphroditus stayed as a fellow soldier, as a fellow worker, but he knew that it was right to send Epaphroditus back. And so he, be, he began to start that process. It was a great partnership between the church in Philippi and Paul. Not, I would say not only was Epaphroditus a fellow soldier and a fellow worker, the church at Philippi, along with Epaphroditus, was also such. I love these two words, the fellow worker and the fellow soldier. 
You know, there's evidence from the book of Philippians all throughout this letter about the affection that Paul had for the Philippians and vice versa. And I'm going to run through these very quickly. So we're going to go through a quick journey through the book of Philippi, uh, the book of Philippians, verse, chapter 1, verse 4. We'll just start with verse 3. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. We know that Paul frequently prayed for the Philippians in any partnership. There should be, there should be this sustaining of prayer. In verse 5, it says, because of your partnership, in the gospel from the first day until now. This Greek word, partnership, is the word koinonia. Many of you have heard of this word koinonia. You've heard it translated fellowship. It can also be translated partnership. It literally means an association involving close relations and involvement. It can also mean to share one's possessions with the implication of some kind of joint participation in mutual interest. Paul had this fellowship, this partnership, and the Philippians had this fellowship and this partnership, they with one another. In verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. Paul loved the Philippians. In verse 8, for God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. In verse 12, it says, I want you to know brothers, my brothers, this term brothers, brothers and sisters, or my brothers, occurs six times in the book of Philippians. Paul thought of these Philippians as brothers. In verse 19 of chapter 1, it says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul knew that the church of Philippi was praying for him. So not only was Paul praying for them, they were praying for Paul. In verse 25 of this letter of chapter 1, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul was committed. He was committed to this partnership for the good and for until the final end. He was committed. He was not going to turn his back on it. In chapter 2, verse 12, therefore, my beloved... Beloved, this word comes from the root of agape. You know this word. Uh, if you've been a Christian for very long, you know this word, agape. My beloved. In the scripture, sometimes agape, you may see it translated as my friends or, or friends. At other times, it's just simply translated beloved. And when it's translated beloved, sometimes it is just a term of endearment. Sometimes, though, it is a reminder that you are beloved of God. So when I say, hey, beloved, Sometimes I may be just, just, you know, it's that term of endearment. I love you so much. You're beloved in my heart. Sometimes when Paul says, beloved, he's reminding them, you are loved by God. Here in this section, this is just a term of endearment because it has the first person plural with it. My, my beloved. He loved the people of Philippi. Verse 17 in chapter 2, it says, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Again, Paul would be willing to sacrifice himself, sacrifice himself for his partners in Philippi. 
And in verse 18, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Partners rejoice together when either one succeeds. Whenever either one is walking in Christ, we love one another and we celebrate one another and we have joy in one another in our common relationship with Christ. Over in chapter 4, verse 1, I know this is a lot. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Man, that one verse alone, golly, Paul felt deep, deep affection for these people. In verse 3, he calls the Philippians his true companion. In verse 10 of chapter 4, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Paul was thankful for the Philippians. In verse 14, it says this, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. I'm going to focus one more word, to share. In chapter 1, verse 5, there was the word koinonia. In verse 14 here, is that what I said, verse 14? Yeah, verse 14 here in chapter 4, it's the word koinonia, but added with that prefix soon that I talked about. It's that soon koinonia. So not only is it just fellowship, it's this together fellowship. So it's really an intensification of this word koinonia, which many of you have heard before, which just means fellowship. So fellowship already has within it this concept of togetherness, but when you add the prefix soon to it, it just intensifies that word even much more. Soon koinonia. So Paul had this deep, deep, deep association. This word uh, defined means to be associated in some joint activity with the implication of a somewhat enduring relationship. In verse 15, Paul says this, And you Philippians yourselves, you know this, that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you. It was you. In verse 16, we know that they helped at least twice when Paul had a ministry in Thessalonica. When he had gone to the next city down the road, he was sharing the gospel in Thessalonica. We know that at least twice, the Philippians from this verse sent him offerings at least twice to help him in his ministry there. And then in verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. It was a fragrant offering. It was a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And then Paul gives that one final encouragement. And my God, he will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So some characteristics that I would give to the relationship between Paul and the Philippians. Their partnership was very real. It wasn't fake. It wasn't just on paper. It wasn't just word of mouth. It was very real. With, with substantial giving and encouragement and prayer back and forth. Not only was it real, it was intimate. They knew of each other intimately. 
it wasn't a, just a church somewhere down the road on the other side of the mountain. It wasn't someplace off. And even though physically it was, their relationship was still very intimate. So it was real, it was intimate, and it was mutual. All of us have probably been in relationships that have been one-sided, where you gave and gave and gave and gave and never received back. You were willing to do so because you loved, but you gave and gave and gave. This was not one of those relationships. It was mutual. It was back and forth. It was giving and receiving. The last thing I want to say, obviously, the last one is that it was lasting. It was real, it was intimate, it was mutual, and it was lasting. It was not going to fade away. It was not a relationship that would go away after a predetermined amount of time. It was lasting. There was an epistle written by a man named Polycarp. Anybody here heard the name of Polycarp? <laughs> you guys are awesome. Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna. He wrote this epistle to the Philippians in A.D. 110-ish. So about 70 years after the birth of the church at Philippi. Paul is long dead. The Apostle John lived a long life. It's suspected that Polycarp was discipled by the Apostle John. That John appointed him at Smyrna. And Polycarp writes this letter to the Philippians about 110. He says, I have greatly rejoiced with you in our Lord Jesus Christ because you have followed the example of true love and have accompanied as became you those who were bound in chains. The chains, the fitting ornaments of saints in which are indeed the diadems of the true elect of God and our Lord. And because the strong root of your faith spoken of in days long gone by, endures even until now, and brings forth the fruit to our Lord Jesus Christ. In this epistle that Polycarp writes, he refers to the faith of the Philippians and how it has lasted for all these days. And how the true love of Jesus has lasted for all these days. And how for since the time of their beginning, they have been bringing forth fruit to Jesus Christ. I, I pray that Renewal Church, if Jesus doesn't return in 70, 80, 90 years, that Renewal Church will be a church marked by its love for Jesus, by its strong-rooted faith in Jesus, and its lasting fruit that it has presented since the first day to Jesus Christ. Polycarp goes on to write, I exhort you all, therefore, to yield obedience to the word of righteousness and to exercise all patience, such as you have seen before your eyes, not only in the case of Ignatius and Zosimus and Rufus, but also in others among yourselves and in Paul himself and the rest of the apostles. Do this in the assurance that all these have not run in vain. It is you in this room, it is you, Renewal Church, who will continue to fight for God's vision for this church to exist. You are the ones who have been stuck together through some very tough times to ensure that ministry will continue in and among and through the people of Renewal Church. You are to be commended. 
But keep looking forward. You cannot be stuck in your past. Look forward to what God has for you. There are four words that we focused on in this text. Koinonia, soon koinonia, soon ergon, and sustratiotain. Fellowship, partnership, sharing through an endured relationship, being fellow workers for our Lord, His gospel, and the glory of God, being fellow strugglers as we walk through difficult experiences together. I would say that Renewal Church is characterized by all four of those words. 